0: So today we're beginning a new sermon series designed to explain why we do the things that we do when we meet together as Christians. There's nothing worse than going through the motions, doing something without fully understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it. So between now and Easter uh, and then beyond uh, a little bit, we'll be looking at various components of Christian practice with a particular focus on the things that we do when we meet together uh, for a service. And today we're looking at one of the first things we do at the beginning of the service. We we prayed it already, the prayer of preparation. So we're gonna find out why. Why are we praying that prayer? And we're going to look at it in four parts, and they'll be up on the screen, uh, so uh, you'll be able to keep track. It should be fairly obvious, James, where you need to be with that. So part one, Almighty God, Almighty God. The first two words are about recognising who God is and that we're in his presence. I wonder if you've ever entered a room uh, at home or at work, and uh, you've... You you you're busy yourself with whatever you've gone into the room to do, and, and then you you suddenly hear a noise, a, a cough or a shuffle, and you realise that there's someone else in the room. Uh, you didn't see them when you came in, but now you're aware of their presence, and you say, "Oh, hello, Stephen. Sorry, I didn't see you there." Well, that is exactly what we want to avoid when we come to church. We don't want to get halfway through the service and think, "Oh yeah, this this is a this is supposed to be about God. I need to focus on God." The words almighty God not only acknowledge that God is present, but that it is God to whom our worship is directed. In other words, we're positioning ourselves to worship God. And he's almighty. 1 Chronicles 9 verse 11 says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. When we position ourselves to worship God, we become aware of who God is and we become aware of who we are in relation to God. We become aware of our dependency on God. We are more dependent on God than a newborn baby is dependent on her mother's milk. It's just that we don't always realize that. And it's a sad fact uh, that often we fight to be independent of God. Uh, we think we can get by on our own without Him. And those two words, Almighty God, shatter that illusion that we can get by with, without God, that we can be independent of God. We remember that, that God is infinite and we are finite. God is creator and we are created. God is perfect, we are imperfect. God is pure, we are impure. Uh, God is all powerful, omnipotent, we are weak despite our best efforts to be otherwise. God is in control. We are not in control. God is almighty. When we're confronted uh, with the awesomeness and the majesty of God, the only right and proper response is one of worship. Uh, Worship and adoration. Our culture idolizes all kinds of people, but it is only God who is worthy of our worship. And it's important that we realize that uh, refusing to worship God is not refusing to worship full stop. We are created to be worshiping beings. If we don't worship God, we end up worshiping something else. We end up worshiping ourselves or money or a famous person or our bodies or whatever. Everyone worships someone or something. And as Christians, we understand that our worship needs to be directed at God and nowhere else. Worship is the primary activity for which we were made. We have been created to worship. And those words, Almighty God, put us in the right place to do that. So, next, we pray these words. To whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Do you know, I think this part of the prayer can unnervous. I once heard someone say, I don't want there to be a God who knows everything that I'm thinking and sees everything that I'm doing. I find that a bit scary. And for some, it might sound a bit too much like Big Brother. But thinking back to the words of Psalm 139, Those words express the most intimate love and care on God's part. Verses 13 to 16 say, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalm expresses the utmost knowledge and intimacy. God knew us before we were even conceived. Intimacy, intimacy, intimacy. It puts us in a place of vulnerability. It could be that we experience uh, deep feelings of shame or embarrassment about our uh, thoughts, our feelings, our desires. And we don't want God to see us. We don't want our hearts to be open. We don't want our desires known. And we'd rather be able to keep our secrets hidden. Often when we know we're at fault, we try and hide from God. When we've done something that we know to be wrong, how hard is it to kneel down immediately afterwards and pray? It's really hard because our sin makes us want to hide from God. We see it right at the beginning of the Bible when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. What's the the first thing they did? They hid from God. Genesis 3, 8 to 10 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid, I hid. When I was a child I would have been about five or six and I got into trouble in the playground as I often did and uh, the dinner lady Mrs. Redrup made me sit in the school hall all by myself And I was terrified that my teacher was going to walk through and see me sitting in the hall. I was I was ashamed. I didn't want my teacher to know that I was in trouble. I didn't want my teacher to know what I'd been up to in the playground. And uh, when the bell went, I wanted to go to my class, but I was afraid to move. And then eventually Mrs. Redrup walked through the hall. She said, what are you still doing there? Go to your class right now. So I hurried off to my class, and when I got there, I found it completely empty. I had no idea where everyone had gone, uh, and I panicked. And all I could think to do was to hide under the table. And I was there for ages. Well, it felt like ages, probably about two minutes. And then uh, my teacher, Mrs. Culpin, entered the room. And I'm thinking, please don't see me. Please don't see me. And then she went, what's that under the table? Of course she knew, but I'm still thinking, don't look, don't look. But of course she did. And i was duly extracted from my hiding place and found myself in even more trouble. But I think at the most basic level, we hide from God because we're ashamed and we fear getting into trouble. Uh, We fear God's disapproval. But even when we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. Romans 5 verse 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In other words, God saw the very worst of us. He saw the mess and the muck and the muddle of our sinful lives. And with all that in full view, he loved us and he died for us. He took the punishment that we deserve on himself. And because of that, God is able to look at us with the kind of care and delight that the psalmist expresses in Psalm 139. And it's important to note that the psalmist sees God's knowledge of him in entirely positive terms. And we should too. But, you know, it's not only that God sees the bad stuff that we do, which is what we tend to think, isn't it? Oh, you know, God can see all my misdemeanors. I'm I'm pretty uncomfortable with that. But God can also see uh, the good that we do. We are made in the image of God. And God can see his image in us even when we can't. God can see the end from the beginning. He can see the future. He can see what we'll be like in the new creation. In other words, he doesn't just see what we are. He sees what we can and will be. He sees our full potential. Have you ever been in a situation where you're uh, having your hair cut and uh, you get about halfway through, and you're looking in the mirror, and you're thinking, what is she doing to my hair? And you're trying to look calm, but inside you're starting to feel a bit anxious. Uh, but then by the end of the cut, you look, at, you look in the mirror and think, oh, well, that's, that's actually quite a good cut. I'm happy with that. Yeah, that's great. Of course, uh, if we could see the, the end uh, of the process from the beginning, then that would completely change our perspective but that is god's perspective he sees what we will be like in the new creation god sees everything he sees the best and the worst of us he sees our full potential as well as our current condition so the next thing we pray is this cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your holy spirit that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Knowing that God sees our hearts reminds us that there's stuff in our hearts that oughtn't to be there. But again, the focus is on God. We realize that our hearts can be cleansed, but we can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit for that. When I was a child, I had a car cleaning business. Not a very successful one, but it made me a bit of pocket money. And I used to go around the streets with my uh, little cart piled high with car cleaning equipment. I'd just knock on people's doors and ask if they wanted their cars cleaned. The problem was, I wasn't tall enough to reach the roofs of the cars. And so I needed to get the punters to do that bit themselves. I remember one guy laughing at me and saying, fancy coming car cleaning, you can't even reach the roof. To clean those cars... I needed help. I couldn't do it on my own. And if we're going to cleanse our hearts in preparation for worship, we need the help of the Holy Spirit, because there are parts of our hearts that we simply cannot reach. Do you know, we can't even believe in God without the Holy Spirit. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says that faith is a gift of the Spirit. We can't love God without the help of the Holy Spirit. The prayer says that we may worthily magnify your holy name. In other words, worship. We can't worship God without the help of the Holy Spirit. And this brings us back to our complete dependency on God. And we do need to cleanse our hearts. Otherwise, we bring all kinds of baggage into worship. How can we worship God if our hearts and minds are full of all the junk that's accumulated during the week? How can we uh, worship God if we're dwelling on thoughts that are opposed to God? Whatever those thoughts might be, selfish ambition, pride, hostility, lust, bitterness, unforgiveness, vanity, whatever it is that we struggle with. Now, hopefully we're inviting the Holy Spirit to help us with those things during the week. It's good to keep short accounts with God. But when we pray the prayer preparation, we're asking the Holy Spirit To help us deal with whatever's remaining, because we know that we can't do it on our own. Right at the beginning of the service, we invite the Holy Spirit to come into the situation. So finally, we finish the prayer through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We finish a lot of prayers like that, don't we? In our gospel reading today, we heard Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me we approach the father through Jesus Jesus is the only way to the father if we know Jesus we know the father if we love Jesus we love the father if we've seen Jesus we've seen the father we worship Jesus we worship the father you might say well what about people who have never even heard of Jesus how do they come to the father we, we might use the example of a man who lives in a remote village. Uh, lived there all his life in Kyrgyzstan, never heard of Jesus. I don't personally know such a person, but God does. And God knows each and every one of us, every human being, with the same intimacy that is expressed through Psalm 139. And the truth is, the truth is, I honestly don't know if and how such a person comes to the Father. But what I do know, and I know with certainty, and we can be sure of this, is that God is loving and he is just. He is loving and he is just. So on the day of judgment, whatever comes beyond that point, no one will be able to say, God hasn't loved me enough. No one will be able to say, I've been unfairly treated. Of course, people are unfairly treated in this life, but we're talking now about what comes beyond We can trust God to be completely loving and completely just. But the New Testament makes it clear that all roads do not lead to God. Jesus is the way. We access God through Jesus. And we know with certainty that the only surefire way, the only guaranteed way of coming to the Father is through Jesus Christ. So why take the risk with any other approach, especially when we consider what's at stake? Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. If we miss Jesus, we miss worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we admit that uh, when we come to church, our minds and our hearts are often full of things that don't give you glory. And we pray that uh, when we pray this prayer preparation, we really will invite your spirit to come and cleanse us and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Father, we know that you have an intimate knowledge of us and help us to see that as an entirely positive thing, which shows us just how much you love us and care for us. Heavenly Father, there's lots that we don't fully understand. There's lots that we wrestle with. But help us, Lord, to focus on what we do know. And we know that you are loving and that you are just and that you are trustworthy. And we put our complete faith in you today. In Jesus' name. Amen.